0: Hey, <laughs> um, I know that. Let, let me say this before we before we start recording. Let let let, let <laughs> <me> <laughs> Right, cut, ta- cut 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 the tape, and uh, this this is a is 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 a bad Sunday for my neighbor to be here. <laughs> 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 All right, what's going on, Ed? <laughs> he came the wrong Sunday. Say like no. <laughs> Let me ju- let me let's just talk for a second, okay? Um, so I, I I I wanted to rush everything through because um, I want to be able to go through this passage, and um and and, and I will, I'm gonna say it's first of all it's just a fault. <laughs> I was talking to her the other day and she said, Pastor, you just need to get over yourself and just and just give it to a street, okay? So so again. This passage is about giving, okay, and in praying about how to talk about this passage, I just said I'm just going to go all in, okay, so this is what's going to happen today. Either this is going to be my last Sunday as your pastor, (laughs) (laughs) or I'm not going to see some of y'all for a while, (laughs) okay. Um, now, I- it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable for all of us. You all know that, um, I don't like talking about money, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, and, and this is why I Sister bit said I need to get over myself, okay? I don't like talking about money because I know that whenever you hear, s- people hear sermons on giving, right, immediately, like, oh, he just wants more money for himself, okay? Now, at the broom, right, we've taken that excuse away because it don't matter if y'all brought a million dollars in here for offering, I don't get an extra penny. Okay, we, we had that set. Okay, so so this is not about, about uh want more money for myself or, or anything like that. That's that is is you know, I wanna wanna say that up front. Um but at the same time we wanna make sure that we understand why the Bible says what it says, and and what we as are responsible to do, right? It is our responsibility to give so that we are funding missions and helping people who are poor and needy and and things like that. So, um, so we have several projects, of course, that we um um all are working on, um, and uh. <laughs> Even some that may be in the pipeline, just to think about, but again um I want us to as we as we listen to this, I want us to ask ourselves, God, what are you saying to me in this last thing i want I want to I say um before I jump into this passage is this passage is about tithing, right. Now, all of us all still recognize my my position. I don't believe that as as Christians we're obligated to tithe. Okay, I think that that was something in the Old Testament, not something in the New Testament. Something that I, I'm repeatedly told uh, by some that I need to stop saying. <laughs> okay, so I want us to to when we t- when we talk about this passage, this passage is talk about and giving ten percent. Okay, um, so I I will use that word, but um again i want us to keep in context everything that i have 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 said and make sure that uh we 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 keep all of those things in perspective all right and then next week i'm going to uh, come back you know and and touch on this again looking at some things in the new testament so that we can be very clear to keep this passage in the context of everything that we that we've been saying for for years now okay so we'll come back next week and kind of you know I'll kind of uh, brush you off, but uh <laughs> but um, my my children growing up loved the movie Rio, and uh, there's a scene in in the movie Rio where they're riding on the on the back of this bulldog, and he says, "Y'all need to hold on because y'all gonna get wet on this ride." <laughs> okay, so 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 I'm giving you your warning up front. <laughs> Let us look at Malachi. Chapter three. Verses six through twelve, we've been working our way through the book of Malachi and it's been tough. <laughs> as I said, oftentimes we, we go to the Bible and there's a lot of um in scripture that is encouraging. Okay. Uh, but a- as the Bible says in Hebrews, the Bible is also a two-edged sword. And so sometimes God has to cut us. And this is gonna be one of those days. They <laughs> went that Hebrews. Mm-mm. Malachi. Chapter three, we're just going to be looking at verses six through 12 today. I want to read our scripture and then I'll pray. Verse six reads, Father, Lord, do not change. Therefore, You, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you and your tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil and your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will count you happy for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us another opportunity to come into your presence, to gather together. We even pray for those of us who have not returned yet, that you would continue to bless them and keep them safe and to grow them. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts as we have been working our way through Malachi, trying to understand uh, what is authentic worship, We pray, Lord, that you would continue to to prick us in the places where we have become comfortable and we don't give you the things that you deserve. We ask, Lord, that you would keep working on us as you have promised. You will will keep working on us until the day you come and return for us. And uh, we pray, Lord, that as you continue to give us your grace, your love and your mercy, that we would truly grow to give you our best, because that is what you've done for us. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus name. Amen. I'm going to give you all a warning already. I, I already know I'm going to go past my 12 o'clock time just to give you all a heads up. And so, and so uh, I I know I said that we would, would wait until September to get back to, you know, leaving at 1230, but uh, I'm a still a, a Sunday today. So I'll just get, just to give you all the heads up. It's a lot I got to touch on. And so. Y'all ain't got nowhere to go anyway. <laughs> Alright, so let's let's look at this passage. And let me give you my title. Now I, I thought long and hard about this title. I thought long and hard about this title. And I think that this title really fits this passage. The title is God, I love you, but you cannot have my money. God, I love you, but you can't have my money. At this point in the book of Malachi, uh, all of us are probably feeling like a boxer that is on the ropes. And <laughs> and we are either hoping that the referee steps in and stops the fight, or we're just looking for the bell to ring <laughs> so we can go to the corner and kind of catch our breath. We are looking for uh, some form of relief after about a month and a half of working our way through this book. Malachi has been hammering us um, on our lack of respect that we show towards God's name, the lack of devotion that we have towards God, us offering God defective worship and sacrifices, the fact that some of us are dating and marrying non believers, our lack of faithfulness to our spouses and us questioning God's justice. And some of the prescriptions that God has given to us for these infractions in the book of Malachi um, can seem overly harsh, especially to our Western ears. In chapter 1, God says uh, to the priest to shut the door because he would rather receive no worship at all than to receive inauthentic worship. And in chapter 2, God says that any believer who marries a non-believer should be put out of the church. And to our modern ears, we take offense at these type of prescriptions, but that is because we don't understand what God is aiming for. God has a goal that he is trying to reach with all of the Um, things that he is saying to them, and even the punishments that God is prescribing for the sins that they are committing. And I think that that goal can be summed up in verse 7. In verse 7, God says through Malachi, return to me and I will return to you. Return to me and I will return to you. All that God has has set up into this point and all that God is doing up until this point is in order to further the goal of reconciliation. God wants to reconcile with his people. So when God confronts us with our sins or even when God threatens us with punishment. The goal that God is after is to help us to recognize that we have driven the car off course And he wants us to correct and get back on the right path. Now, the fact that we are offended by God or Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, going back to our cell group where we had to (laughs) kind of take a break for a couple weeks and look at 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. Right. We just couldn't understand what does Paul mean that someone should be put out of the church. Like, I don't, I don't get that. Okay, so we had, we had to stop for, for a little while and, and kind of dig down into that. But the, the reason that we are offended that God would prescribe being put out of church for certain sins is because, and you all will probably disagree with me on this, but I think it's true, we have a hidden assumption that we have the right to continue in our sin. But God says, return to me and I will return to you. We don't have to be disciplined or put out of the church, right? It it, it amazes me when... uh, when we were having this conversation about, well, um, that's not fair. Well, shouldn't we just let people, you know, keep coming to church and eventually they may hear and understand and, and change? And and a- again, I had to kind of hammer hammer the point. A person does not have to get put out of church, okay? So, so Paul's point is that Christians who are living in um, sexually immoral lives, right, Right. They have to understand how serious this issue is. And so he says, if they don't repent right then, the, the, then put them, you know, they have to be disciplined or well, you have to stop coming until you get this right. OK, because you're making Jesus look bad. You're making us look bad. People are saying, well, Christians are hypocrites. They're doing all kinds of things. You're making God look bad. So there has to be some kind of discipline and they have to recognize how serious this is. Now, people are like, well, that's not fair. Everybody's doing something. Right now, here's the thing: you don't have to get put out. You could actually stop, <laughs> right? And then, and then, it, then there's no issue. But the reason that we get offended by just saying that is that in our core we say, "Well, I'm not going to stop. I, I, I have the right to." to do what I want to do. So what we have to recognize is that we can actually confess our sins, turn our backs, back turn back to God, I should say, and, and return to him. And then the threat of punishment will go away. But the reason, again, you, you won't agree with me, the, the, the reason that we retain our offense is because we know in our hearts that we really don't want to return. We, we enjoy our sin. Now, in verses 6 and 7, God through Malachi is offering us relief, from all the indictments and punishments that we have seen before. In spite of our sin, in spite of our flaws, in spite of, uh, of, of what we've seen, where God says that we're offering him uh, uh, polluted worship, is, <laughs> is, is, is what the Malachi calls it. He says that in spite of all of these things, God has not wiped us out yet. He says, you have not been destroyed. You have not perished. And he doesn't say that the reason that God has not wiped us out is because we are somehow inherently good. Right. He doesn't say that God has not wiped us out because God does not see our sin as somehow that's all that serious. He says that the reason that God does not wipe us out when we sin against him, because, again, sin is rebellion against God and he is a king and kings don't take rebellion very well. But the reason that God does not wipe us out has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the nature of God. He says that God is immutable, which means he does not and he cannot change. Verse six, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. God is consistent. God is not like us. He is not like—he's uh, uh, not like us, where we oftentimes, <laughs> you know, we 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 profess our love to someone, and then when they get on our nerves, we're like, "Man, y'all can go about your business." <laughs> God is—it does not experience mood swings, <laughs> where one day He loves you, and one day He does not. Okay. God is a consistent. God that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never get tired of us and he will never throw us away. The Bible says that he is faithful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. God is is patient. Even in the face of our prolonged rebellion, notice in verse uh, um, six, he, um, he, um, uh, verse seven, he goes on to say, that from your ancestors you have rebelled against me. Right? This this is a generational thing. <laughs> okay, and yet in the face of prolonged rebellion, he still doesn't throw them away. He keeps pursuing them, trying to woo them back to himself. And listen, uh, I, I keep trying to relate these things back to what God does for us. Right? Every single day. I said this last week. Every single day, I sin, I fail God. Just like all of us. Okay. And yet. I know with certainty. God is not going to throw me away. <laughs> right now, Hebrews chapter 12, he might spank us. <laughs> right. He, he, he may allow things to come into our lives, to discipline us, to help us to recognize we need to get the right on the back, right on the right path. But we can be certain. That he's never going to leave us or throw us away. So God is 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 that type of God that he does not and he cannot change when he brings you into relationship with himself. He will always accept you with open arms. Now, it's important for us to to keep that in mind, because I know a lot of times uh, many of us i have talked to to, to a lot of you. A lot of times we wrestle with uh, with these feelings of, you know, I did X, Y, Z. Can God forgive me? Or we, 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 we wrestle with spiritual uh, low self-esteem and we, 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 we keep beating ourselves up about things that, that we have done. Right. But but notice here in this passage, he's saying, if you return to me, I will return to you. He will not hold these things against you. As we see it. So in Isaiah, he says he takes all of our sins. He throws them into a sea of forgetfulness and he will hold them against us no more. God is not holding anything against you, right? He's waiting to accept you with open arms. And I think that Jesus illustrates uh, this the best for us. We all are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. And and Jesus says that God is like the father in the parable. Even though uh, this father was disgraced, (laughs) Right. He was scandalized. His son came to him and said, I want my inheritance now. And in in, in that culture, that means I wish you were dead so I can have my inheritance. And what does the father do? He gives it to him and he allows him to go live in the Bible says riotous living. But what does the father do? Uh, uh, we know that, that the father had to be sitting on the porch looking for his son because he says that he saw him afar off coming. And what did he do? He ran to meet him and he never brought up anything that the son did, he just welcomed him back in. That's what God the Father is waiting to do for each of us. He loves you so much that he placed your sin and my sin on Jesus. So regardless of what we have done against him, he is the one that is ready and waiting to run and welcome you back in. And he'll never change. The only question (laughs) is, are we willing to return? He's waiting, but the question is, are we willing to return? Now here's the here's the danger because uh, we as church folk, right? We 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 know all of the church lingo, right? You know, God is good, and all the time, there you go, nice. Right. And so we 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 know that what we're supposed to say. So I- if I ask you the question, uh, are you willing to return to God? Literally nobody would be like, no, nah, mm mm. No, no, nobody's going to say, No, I love my sin so much that I'm not willing to actually return back to God. Okay. You, even if that's what's going through your head, you'd be like, Oh, yeah, Pastor, ab- absolutely. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. We, we know exactly what we, we should say. And so uh, we, w- we'll, we would approach it the same way that the Israelites would approach it. Okay. So, so God tells them that they are supposed to return to Him. Verse 7, they say, Well, how should we return? In in what way would you like us to return? Now, let's pause for a moment. I know that I've I've said a whole lot, but I I want us to pause for a moment because we have to follow the flow of what is being said in the passage. I know that we all know what is about to be said, okay? Will a man rob God? You're robbing me. How are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? Right. So we, we all we we that has been hammered into every one of our good Baptist folk. Okay. Um, however, I think that if we are not connecting what is said in verses six and seven to what is said in verse eight, we miss the whole point of the passage. Okay. Um, now. Now, I I think that pastors have done a a good job of, uh, of us memorizing verse eight, but we don't understand the context of why verse eight is here. So listen to it again. Listen to the argument that Malachi is making. Verse six. Malachi says that God's immutability, the fact that he does not change, is the reason that we are not destroyed when we sin against him. God does not change. Therefore, his loving purpose for us does not change. Verse seven. Since God does not change, he will always be there waiting for us to return to him. Okay, God doesn't change. That's why he doesn't destroy you. Because he does not change, he will always wait for you to return. The only question is. What does it look like for us to return? Okay? Now, so whatever verse 8 says is a response or an answer to the question of what it looks like when people return to God. Everybody see that? Okay. So verse 8 is how people need to repent and turn back to God. That's what it's gonna look like. Okay, so whatever he says in verse 8. This is what it will look like when you turn back to God. Everybody with me? Okay. So what does it look like for a person to return to the Lord? How do we know when a person has seriously come back to God with all of their heart? The answer is It will show up in their checkbook. It it will show up in their bank statements. Now, I know your first inclination is um, to disagree, you know, to turn me off, to think, hmm, I wonder what they're serving at Golden Corral today, (laughs) right? Like the the alarm (laughs) bells are going off. It's just like warning, warning, warning. Like, this is taking a wrong turn. Okay. But think about this practically for a moment. Okay. I'm going to give you three, three things real quick that um, I think will help us to understand that our financially, financial giving to church is actually the best indicator of our devotion to God. Okay. Now, I know people are like, well, no, it's going to be prayer. You know, it's going to be prayer and reading the Bible and all of these things. Um, but I think that if we think that, we missed the point of chapter one, two, and three of Malachi already. Because remember, Malachi is indicting them for saying, you have been coming to the temple worshiping God all this time. And God is saying, I'm not accepting your worship. There's something missing. Right? We we talked about the last for the last five Sundays, right? We we were working through Malachi, right? You can you can pray and and that has nothing to do with loving God because you can pray for stuff about yourself. God give me this, God give me that, God give, God didn't answer my prayer. Oh, I'm not going to church today. We can read the Bible and it has nothing to do with God, right? I was talking to one of my friends before, um, a couple of years ago, and um, I, just, I noticed that that whenever this person posts things on, on, li- on Facebook or online about, you know, scripture or books that they're reading, it always, always is about relationships. It's either about relationships or money. And I'm like, why does, why does all of the scriptures that you refer to always deal with relationships or money? And 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 I try to help her see. Do you notice that when you're when things are going well in your relationship, you don't come to church, and but when <laughs> when things are falling apart, like you're here every week, that y- you can do a lot of religious things, and it has nothing to do with God. It's not so with giving. That the only the only reason that you're going to give is because you have s- something has, has changed in, y- in your heart. OK, now. So three things I want us to say, want to say first, our return to God must be measurable. Okay. Too often uh, when we repent of sin, we, we think that our our repentance from sin goes like this. God forgive me. Thank you for forgive me. Amen. And then we go about our business. And, 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 and there's there's no follow up. We think that simply promising God not to commit a sin again is enough. However, virtually every single passage in the Bible that talks to us about putting an end to sin in our, in our life in the same passage calls on us to do something in exchange for that sin. Right. Th- stop sinning and do this. Just for an example, I want you to turn really quickly to Ephesians chapter four. I could have went to several passages on this. but I want you to look at Ephesians chapter four real quick. I think that this is a it's kind of an example of of what I would like us to see. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 is where I'll start. Paul is talking to us about uh, what it looks like for us as Christians, how we should live. He says, verse 17. Now, this I say. Um, Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way... You learned Christ, for surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust. Put away your former way of life. Take that off. Stop doing that. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to clothe yourselves with the new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice what he says. He says that, that when you came to Christ, what you were taught to do was take the former things that you used to do, living in sin, right? And, and all of us, I will say that, that, that nobody in here, I don't believe, could ever beat me in any of the sins that you all have done. You can't beat me. Let's compare stories, <laughs> okay? He says, but that's who you were. Stop doing that, okay? But when you stop doing that, you have to replace it with something else or you will go back. So he says, stop doing that, but instead renew your mind and start living in righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. So then put away falsehood. Okay, stop, stop lying. And then instead do what? Speak truth to your neighbor. for We're members of one another. Verse 26. Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give room to the devil. Verse 28. Thieves must give up stealing. But instead, what should they do? Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. So if you used to steal, stop doing that. What should you do instead? Go get a job so that you can give to other people in need. Okay. verse 29. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear it. Stop cursing and saying bad stuff. What should you do in in exchange? You should say positive things that will build people up. Whenever you stop doing something, you must do something concrete in its place, to one, prove that you are serious, and number two, to ensure that you do not go back. Everybody see that? So, so what I'm trying to get us to see in, the, in this first point is that when we return to God, it must be measurable. We must do. We must do something. It can't just be, "Oh, thank you for forgiving me, God," and then we go about our business. Right? There must be something done that is tangible, uh, uh, moving forward. Number two. Our return to God must be valuable. Whatever action we perform must demonstrate to God and to others that we are serious. Now, think about this. A husband comes home and uh, he tells his wife that he has been unfaithful. And the wife says, OK, well what are we going to do about this? Right. First she doesn't kill him. <laughs> okay. And 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 then she decides, okay, well like, we can work this out. Oh, so what are you going to do? He like, oh, I'm not going to really do anything. I'm not Well, you don't want to go to counseling? No, not really. Can't you just accept my apology and move on? You don't want to go to counseling? You don't want to like do something, right? It she's going to say, you're not really serious. Why? Because you're not offering something valuable to prove that you are serious, right? When we offer God something that is of little or no value to us, it's actually a reflection on how we feel about God. Now, all of us know the story of Cain and Abel, correct? Okay. Well, what was the issue with Cain and Abel? The Bible tells us very clearly. It says that Abel brought of his best to God. And Cain just brought an offering. Abel brought something that was valuable. He brought his best to God. Cain just said, well, God wants something. There you go. (laughs) Right? he He put no thought into it. He, he gave something that was not valuable to him, same, the same thing that we have seen in Malachi, right? They were taking the animals that were sick and, and diseased that they were probably going to just kill and throw away anyway, and those are the things that they were bringing to God. And God said, would you serve your governor that? Would, would you, would you? As, I, as I said on that Sunday, if, if, if President Obama was coming today, W- w- would you serve this kind of meal? Okay, now I, I didn't say the other president I put on, put on purpose. He'd be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, but again, okay. It must be measurable and it must be valuable. And the third thing that I w- would say about our return to God is that it must be sacrificial. Whatever we give to God should remind us of our ultimate dependency on God. Right. Sin at its core is pride and self-reliance. I'm going to rely on myself. I know what God says, but I'm, I'm going to rely on myself on this one. Okay. So when we return to God, we need something that is going to remind us that we need to depend on God. So when we give to, to God, it, it must be sacrificial. Right, because the only thing that will keep us from falling back into sin is a deeper love and dependence on God. And in turning our back, um, turning back to God from sin, our action has to constantly remind us of our need for God. Now, um, with all that being said, time for y'all to put y'all seat belts on. Oh, no. That was us, like, just climbing to the top. And now the roller coaster about to go. Now, with all that being said, what does your paycheck, what does your checkbook say to you about your love for Jesus? What does your checkbook say to you about your love for Jesus? Well, let me ask this a different way. At the beginning of each year, when we give you your financial statements of how much you gave the previous year, if there was such a thing as a church jail, (laughs) would you be arrested for robbing God? I mean, we every January we give you these statements. Okay. Think about your statement from January. If church was a jail, Would you be arrested for robbing God? Now, again, I know some of you all are kind of tuning me out, right? You're like, oh, this took a wrong turn. Okay, (laughs) But um, what I want to do in the next few minutes is to show us why our giving record is actually an accurate depiction of our relationship with God. Now, I'm, I'm going to do this because somebody texted to me out of the blue. I'm just like, you know what, God, it's so funny. Somebody actually texted me an excerpt from a book that they're reading, right? And I think that this excerpt is, is perfect for my sermon. It is perfect uh, to, to take us where we need to go, okay? So I, I'm going to read that excerpt. I actually need that book, <laughs> The title of this section is Something is Wrong Down Deep. Listen to what this excerpt says. It says, today, many Christians suffer from a disease we might call cirrhosis of the giver. (laughs) (laughs) This is a debilitating spiritual malady that has been around since the earliest days of the church first being clearly diagnosed around 34 AD in a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, <laughs> who became greedy with God's gifts and suffered the consequences. See Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Cirrhosis of the giver is an acute condition. Those who have it show symptoms that include a sudden paralysis and inability to reach for their wallet or purse when the offering plate comes by at church. This strange symptom often disappears in stores, on golf courses, or when dining in fine restaurants, but it regularly shows up in church. Some have attempted to treat this condition by offering tax deductions for charitable giving, but judging from the prevalence of the problem, this incentive has not had a great effect the disease of shriveled giving continues to plague the family of God. I say that because based on the most recent figures that show the average Christian in America gives only two and a half percent of his or her income to the kingdom of God. Kay. I think that this excerpt perfectly speaks to the point that I'm trying to drive home to us today, that our financial giving to church is probably the most accurate, measurable, valuable, and sacrificial indicator of our relationship with God. Think about it this way. For most of us, what we give to church is is an afterthought. We, We put no thought into what we are going to give. The basket comes around, we just throw something in it, and that's it. We move on. There's no thinking put into it at all. We think we give without thinking about it, or we give the same amount every week regardless of our income. Many people, and I I think that this is is fine, many people claim that they can't afford to give 10% of their income to God, and I would agree, right, just like I said, I think two Sundays ago, everybody should not be given 10%, okay, as a matter of fact, I've come to several people in the church and said, you're giving too much money, you need to decrease the amount of money that you're giving, <laughs> and, and they're like, well, I mean, somebody has to give it, right, somebody else should, you should not, okay, so what have we done, okay, so so we, 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 we tackled this early on as, as, as a church, and so I said, I, r- I recognize people, uh, uh, you know, typical American. I was in debt. we all in debt. So how can we get around this? And I said, I, r- I remember this. This might have be been about 10 years ago. I don't even remember. But, um, hey, let's all try starting with $25 a Sunday, okay? $25 a Sunday, work on getting out of debt, and as you can, then you can increase the amount that you give, Okay? So $25 a Sunday, that's only about $1,300 a year. And if you are working to get out of debt, then you can increase as the Lord blesses you, right? Now, um, all of us know this. I don't check people's giving records. I don't know what you give from, um, from week to week. But I do help with stuff in the envelopes at the end of the year. So I, s- I randomly see, you know, uh, things and 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 the trustees talk to me about these things. But. I can tell you that probably almost half of us aren't even doing $25 a Sunday. Think about that. We work 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, And we still don't give $1,300 a year to the person who was spit on for us, who was nailed on a cross for us so that we would not go to hell. I would say forget about 10 percent. (laughs) Forget about the 10 percent. Many Christians aren't even doing the two and a half percent. Not talking about him, I'm just saying in general. Now, I I want, I'm 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 saying this, I prayed and asked God, God, please, I pray that I say it with grace, and I pray that people hear this with grace. (laughs) But I, I I have to say it. I gotta, I have to, I have to do this, okay? I gotta gotta cut, okay? Um, because again, my job is to help us to grow spiritually. (laughs) Right. And, 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 and and we laugh a lot at our church. Right. We, we have fun a lot. We, you know, I come to your house, you come to my house. We, 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 we hang out, we eat, we have a whole bunch of fun, but, but at its core, my job is to help you. Right. And so, so I got to tell you the truth. And on this subject, People, talking of giving. People have come to me and they will say that they can't afford to give. They can't afford to give because they're living paycheck to paycheck, and I get it. I have li- li- Janita didn't work for like six years. I get living paycheck to paycheck. I I, com- I understand that. Okay, thank God that she went back to teaching. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But some of us are living paycheck to paycheck, working multiple jobs so that we could afford the things that we want. Some of us are saying that we live paycheck to paycheck so we can't afford to give to God's work. But some of those same people will then turn around and go on vacation and they will call me and ask me to pray for them to have safe travels on their vacation. <laughs> we eat out multiple times a week. We buy new cars. We're buying clothes. Some of y'all, y'all come to church. I'm like, I don't think I ever seen them wear the same thing twice. Et cetera, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Now you all know me. I have never said wha- I have never said anything to anybody like, you "Wait, know, oh, how you going on this trip, that you can't give?" I've never said that. This is the first time. That's why I said <laughs> this might be my last Sunday as y'all pastor. <laughs> but I love y'all. Okay. But in my mind, <laughs> I'm thinking, how can people say that they can't afford to give to God, but they can afford everything else in their life? The answer, if we are really, really, really honest with ourselves, is that we don't see God, the church, or his work as our priority. I remember when years ago we did our financial series and <laughs> And during this financial series right we I was giving you all statistics about things, right how much people spend on this, right? I think Americans spend like twelve hundred dollars a year on starbucks and and you know x amount of dollars on on cable and and you know like the average car payment in America is like three hundred and ninety seven dollars so we went through all of these statistics right and i I remember when i um going through this do th- that and i said i would- n- i will never give." A car company, more money in a month than I give God. And I remember people that are like they felt it. What? <laughs> They're like, what? What did he just say? The responses that I got after that series. You would have thought I told someone to go home and smack their mama. They're like, what? Like, no, Mm -mm. mm-mm, mm-mm, no. We have no problem. We don't think twice about sending Honda, BMW, Toyota, Chrysler, GM. We don't think twice about sending them $300, $400, $500 a month. We would never give God that kind of money. Never. Ever, ever, ever. Mm mm. That's not necessary. We have no problem paying that for 20 or 30 years. Because you know how we do we buy a car. As soon as we pay it off, we buy a new one, <laughs> right? And we do that for 20 or 30 years. We have no problem sending that kind of money to a car dealership, making somebody else rich. We would never give God that kind of money. We think that the idea itself is crazy. That's why people are like, what? Give what? (laughs) Is he tripping? He tripping? Give the church the same amount of money as my car payment? That's a radical idea. But think about it. How can you have no problem sending hundreds of dollars per month to a car company for decades but never think about giving the same amount of money to make sure someone else does not go to hell. That says a lot about priorities. It also says a lot about how we feel about God. Now, I get that most Americans can't afford to give the equivalent of a car payment to church each month. Well, we are living paycheck to paycheck. If you want to be honest with, with us, not me. I thank the Lord. Last year, I was like, "Woo!" I I became debt free, set my house and the kids' tuition, <laughs> which is like having all my other bills. <laughs> okay, but I I, I I get that we are paycheck to paycheck, right? So again, that's how we came up with the well. Hey, start with twenty five dollars a month. I mean a week and then we can increase it uh from there. <laughs> I need <laughs> g- <laughs> but even that rarely happens. It is it is hard for many of us to to come up with just thirteen hundred dollars a year. Now I'm gonna say this, I uh, I'm gonna say it, you know. I'll give my resignation if necessary. But a couple of years ago we had a church cruise. And like half the church went on the cruise. When we announced the cruise and hand out the pricing, the funny thing is that the cost of the cruise was about thirteen hundred dollars. And, and and some of the people who said they can't afford to give $1,300 a year to church found the money to go on the cruise. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, how can that be? How can we afford to spend money on cruises, flights, hotels, dinners, $1,000 iPhones, I can keep going on, and on, and on, on, and on, on. But we can't find an equal amount to give to God. Now, if I'm wrong in thinking that God and his work is not a priority for those who don't give generously. What is your answer to why people have money for everything else? But church. Now, I I get that people are like, well, I don't agree with him. I don't think he's correct. I, I that's not true. You can't say that I don't love God because I don't give. Well, why? What answer would you give? How how do we find money for every single thing? We get part time jobs to pay for the stuff that we want, but then we don't have anything for God. What what answer would you give? The point that I'm trying to drive home is your bank statement is an accurate depiction of who you are as a person. It tells you what you value. It tells you what you care about. So what does your bank statement say about you? Does it say that God and his work is a priority to you or not? Now, in, in Second Corinthians, chapter nine, verse seven, Paul says, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, taking my cue from this verse, this is why, again, we don't do the whole, you know, everybody, you know, you got to give 10 percent. You got to tithe. You're going to be cursed with a curse if you don't give. And then we beat you all beat you up over the head. You know, then we come and say, all right, take it. Hold this up. Lord, I honor you with this. Right. We, we we don't do all of the gimmicks because, again, we don't even say nothing. Put the offering basket out. You can come and give what you want. I don't personally, you know, like, I don't, I don't you know, that's not me. Like, I'm not the, I'm not going to beat you up, right? My thing is that, you know, it says you should not give under compulsion. You should not give because someone is badgering you, right? That's why when I announce his offering time. They hold out the baskets, now in the pandemic, it's at the front door. You give, you don't give, I won't know, <laughs> right? It, 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 You should not give under compulsion, and that's part of the reason why I hate giving messages on money because I notice whenever we hit a passage about money, it's like offering goes up for like two Sundays and then go right back down. <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't want that, and I, I debated today about just saying, We're not even collecting offering today, just so people understand that's not what this is about. Paul says you should not give under compulsion, but as a person has made up their mind, they should give cheerfully. Paul says that we should reflect on what Jesus did for us. And as we reflect on what he has done for us, we should cheerfully give out of a cheerful heart. So you should never give under pressure, but rather after reflecting on what God has done for you, you should give cheerfully. That means the amount that we give is a reflection of the value that we place on what he has done for us. What are you telling Jesus about the value you place on his sacrifice for you? Now, before I get uh, beat up, let's jump back into Malachi. (laughs) Okay, I'm almost done. Verse eight, God says, you're robbing me. He tells the people you are robbing me. Now. Have we ever taken the time to stop and ask ourselves of what are we robbing God? What wh- wh- what are we taking from God when we rob him? He doesn't need money. Right. We don't you don't put the money in church and then we transfer it to the bank of heaven. OK. <laughs> right. Even when he says, you know, uh, bringing your tithe so there is Food in my house, of course we know that, that they lived in an agricultural society, so uh, when they brought their tithe, it was not really money. It was actually food, okay? D- does God need food? Did they bring the food and sit it in the temple, and then when everybody leave, God sat down and ate? Okay. No. Uh, the, the, the money and the food that was given was for a purpose. God exists, as we say in theology, I say, Right? He exists in and of himself, right? He, he doesn't need anything outside of himself, so he doesn't need our food, our money, or anything like that. So the purpose of the tithe was for several things. Number one, it took care of the temple and the services of the temple. It took it um, went to pay and feed the Levites and the priests, right? It took care of the poor and the needy in the community. It uh, went towards uh, making sure that the facilities and um were was set up so that people could come together and worship God. So, I think that not giving generously, it doesn't rob God of money and food, it robs God of his glory. It robs God of his glory. How many times have you had someone come to your mind, like, oh, man, I, 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 I haven't seen Sister So-and-So. Let me, I'm going to take something over to her, right? And you just, you just have an impression, you, you give her take some food or, you, you know, have some money and you pass it to them. they are be like, oh, praise God, you do not know. <laughs> you do not know how much this helped me out. God sent you my way. You gave the gift, but the person is giving God the glory, Right. When we don't give. We're robbing God of his glory because giving is supposed to facilitate these things. It robs God of his glory because God is glorified when his house, the church, is not neglected. God is glorified when those who serve on his behalf, right, like the pastors and, and teachers and missionaries, when they are able to do their work without worrying about where their next meal is coming from, right, it's, it's kind of hard for for me to serve you all, if I'm like, I don't even know my gas and electric bill going to be paid, I got to do something about this, right, now, again, most people don't work, you know, God has, you know, blessed us to be able to be out of debt, Janita works, so even though I don't get much from the church, I'm able to, to do my work and be here for you all, right, but there's some people who, who have to work, you know, but God's design is for people to be able to serve without that distraction. God is glorified when the poor and the needy can come to his house for help. God is glorified when we can gather together and worship him. So when we don't give generously to God's work, we are robbing God of his glory because it slows down what he wants to do in the world. I told you all this before when we were talking about missions and and giving and things like that. But do you know that 150,000 people die every single day around the world? Most of whom don't know Jesus. So you have people who are missionaries who are traveling around the world to, to share the gospel and. And, and help people to, to understand what Jesus has done for them. And, and do you know 43% of missionaries are not able to stay on the field for their whole term because of lack of funding? These people have sold houses and everything to go live in distant countries in order to make sure that other people can hear the gospel, and then they have to come home because they can't keep the funding going people are literally dying and going to hell because we are robbing God. (laughs) Globally, 3.9% of all children die before even reaching the age of five. That means 15,000 children die every single day. Now, when when I was looking at this, it's amazing because I think half of the children, like six or 7,000 of these children that die every single day, they're dying from stuff like diarrhea. Other preventable things that we like, oh, just go get some pediatricure. <laughs> like, you know, pediatric, like called, right? W- things that we just kind of like, well, wow, people are really dying from stuff like that? Th- I mean, they're dying from very simple things. When we in America are just like, mm, yeah, I don't know, I know people still die from diarrhea like this ain't like 1850. The poor and the needy around the world are suffering and dying because we're robbing God. So God gives us the solution, right? And I, and I, and I will say this. I was thinking about this. I think that Sometimes we uh, we think that. Um, the solution is just and, and, and I'll say this, right, I, I don't think that that government involvement is is, is bad. That's not the, that's not my point. But I think that we as Christians put too much on, you know, government involvement. Right. We, we pay our taxes and that money should be used to do all of those things. But that does not get us off the hook. Right. It It's our responsibility to make sure that we are doing these things in order to help people. Right. And that's why we as a church built a school in the Congo, um, you know, dug a well in Kinshasa, right, so that they could have fresh drinking water. You know, the you know, all of the things that we've done in Haiti and in all of these different places, we're doing these things. People are like, well, why do we have to do all of this stuff? Because it's our responsibility. We, Oh, the 1%. They got to, you're the 1%. <laughs> Everybody else in the world is living on $2 a day. Two-thirds of the world population lives on $2 a day. You are the 1%. But the mission agencies and humanitarian organizations, they can't get the funding because all of our money is going to red-bottom shoes (laughs) and Visa. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to say that we just we did a whole financial series. I think that we should all enjoy everything that God created us. Paul says that right that God wants us to richly enjoy everything he has created. I, that's my point. But again, I think that w- what I'm trying to get us to see is and to, to go along with all of the stuff. I know my sermon is going very long um, to go along with all of the things that I'm, I'm 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 saying to put all of this in perspective before I move on. The problem is debt, <laughs> right? We're all in debt, and the reason that we're all in debt is because we're not content, and we don't rec- we don't have delayed gratification, right? Th- that's the issue. You can go on your cruise. You can buy whatever car you want. Like you know, I do it, right? I, but the problem is, we can't do all of these things, piling up debt. Okay, now th- that's why we did the Dave Ramsey, the, the Dave Ramsey stuff. Hey, you know, let's do this. But I'm gonna be honest with you: we have paid financial planners, we've done financial seminars, we, you know, did all of this stuff, and again, on purpose. Sometimes, sometimes the church pays for it. Sometimes I pay for all of this stuff out of my own pocket, giving you all free books, paying for uh, financial planners, all of these people to come in, and then y'all don't even show up. <laughs> we have to get out of debt. Because the only reason I can, you know, sometimes you need to be like, hey, I want to go somewhere. Hmm. We just drop everything and go. Why? I have all I pay is my mortgage, my kids' tuition, and gas and electric. (laughs) And then I pay my tithes. So you can do all of these things. You have to do the hard work of getting out of debt first, right? And then you can buy whatever car you want. You know, you can go wherever you want and still give to God's work. But you have to get your finances under control. We have to be to do the total work of everything we've talked about. Okay, now let me finish this up because y'all like we won't be in the back of the golden corral line now. He's talking way too long. All right. What's the solution? What does God say? Verse 10. God says to the people, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Right. And he says that if you do this, again, which we're saying tithe, but again, back to my position, I don't believe that 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 everyone is, is required to give 10%. I, I, again, I, I want us to make sure we hear that. We'll talk more about that next Sunday. Um, uh, but he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And then he promises that if you would be faithful in doing this, he will bless you. Listen to what he says, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil and your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will count you happy for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God says. That if they would be faithful in bringing him their offerings, then he would make up the difference. And we know from previous chapters, right? Chapters one, two, and three of Malachi, that the people were saying that uh, they were complaining about their lack of financial prosperity, right? That that's why that's one of the reasons that they turned their back on God. They felt that God was not giving them. The same thing that other nations had um had, right? The same level of wealth. And so they would argue that uh, they couldn't afford to bring these tithes in. But notice what God says: do it anyway. Do it anyway. And then you trust God to bless you. Now again, I want to make make sure we're clear. I'm not, I am not saying because I know it's gonna happen, right? I remember a church, <laughs> and they're like, give this money, and God is going to bless you. And then people start giving the money, and then they came back, like, next month, like, I can't pay my, my bills. Can you give me some, can we get some benevolence offering? And the church was like, no. Nah. <laughs> so, they listen, if y'all come up in here be like, pastor, made me lose my car. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Go back to my previous sermon if you have promised these people that you're going to make a payment on this date, integrity says you better pay those bills. As a Christian, your responsibility is to pay every single debt that you have. So if you got to pay those bills and you can't tithe, you better pay those bills. But it is our responsibility to work on getting out of debt so that we can have more to give, okay? So I'm not saying next week, y'all better come in here and get us money. What I'm saying is that it's our responsibility to, to to start where we can and work on getting out of debt so that we can have more over time. Three things I want to give you, and then I'm done, right? Three brief things, takeaways from this. Um, again, I want to reiterate that for us in the church age, the percentage is not the issue, Okay. Um, where he says, you know, you're cursed with a curse because you're robbing God that you need need to tithe. That's not true of us anymore, right? Galatians says that Jesus took the curse for us and nailed it to his cross. Nobody is going to be cursed if they do not tithe. Jesus took that for you. Okay? So I don't want people like, Oh, my goodness, I got to give money I can't afford or God is going to curse me. That's not how God operates. Okay, okay. so I I, I want us to, 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 to keep that in mind. The percentage is not the issue. John Benton says that at issue is this. We should give to God in such a way that we feel the pinch. Right. So it's not about giving 10 percent. We should be giving in a way that we feel it though. Okay? So for some of us, we're gonna feel it at two and a half percent, <laughs> okay? Because we have a lot of lot of bills, right? For some people, it's gonna be five percent. For some people, tithing is nothing. For some people, tithing is robbing God. Giving 10% for some people is robbing God because they can afford to give 20. Okay? Yeah. Not saying that they have to. But the the point that that that, I, that I'm making is is that whatever we give, it should be a sacrifice. We should feel it. We should be like, woo, <laughs> right? Am, am I sure about this? Sometimes I know when I um, used to write out write out our, um, our giving, I'd be like, oh, well, I'm gonna get in trouble with this one. <laughs> okay. Number two, we have an obligation to get our financial house in order. So we can afford to give to God's work. Okay. We have that obligation, right? It's it's our responsibility to feed the poor, help the homeless, and 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 pay for missionaries. It's it's our responsibility to do all of those things. That means we need to get out of debt, and that means that we might have to downsize some things. How about how about s- you, you you oh pastor? Somebody said this to me one time. I, you know, I, I can't come to church because I'm working two. J- um, I wor- that person, Well, they were working three jobs at that time. I'm working three jobs, so I can't come to church. And I said, "Well, would you mind? You all just bought two brand new cars. Would you mind selling those two cars, downsizing to something less, and that way you won't have to work three jobs?" Oh no. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. <laughs> maybe. Maybe you should. Maybe you could downsize something. Sell something. Right, I wanted to get out of debt. I sold Janita's car. <laughs> 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 He's like, we got to sell a car. Mm. <laughs> we both at home during this pandemic. There's no need for two cars sitting out there. I'm like, let's <laughs> sell your car. <laughs> okay. And how much money? I mean, we got, they paid us. I was like, "Ooh, I thought we was going to get nothing. They paid us to take the car. And then I save so much money each month, right? Downsize, right? I remember David Platt said one time, he said that you know he felt that the, the need of so many orphans around the world was so great that he decided to sell his house, move into a smaller house, so that he could have money to give to like these different agencies, and then he started adopting people from other countries. Downsize. Skip some of your luxuries. Instead of going on, I think that they say the average American goes on three vacations a year. Go on two, and put that money towards paying off your debt. <laughs> I mean, we didn't go on vacation for how many years? Years, like no vacation. She stopped doing her hair. I mean, getting going to the um, get going to the ha- salon, doing her own hair. You know, we we went radical, okay? And guess what? Whew. September of last year, I paid off my student my fi- my final bill was my student loan. I said <laughs> <laughs> i'm I'm free <laughs> okay right Do whatever we have to do to get our financial house in order, okay Number three, I want us to to be very clear on w- what I'm saying. I am not a prosperity preacher. I'm not saying that if you start giving more money to church, you're gonna be rich. Okay, you can see that on TVN tonight if you want to hear those kind of messages. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Okay. This passage is speaking collectively. Notice he says, You are robbing me, the whole nation. Okay? So this is not an individual thing, right? Oh, as an individual, I'm robbing God. God is looking collectively at what they were doing. Okay, so I want to—we need to keep that in, in mind when we think about these blessings. If we're saying, i want going to give more money so I can get something in return," you've missed the whole point. Right? That's the problem. That's the first problem. Right? Being selfish, wanting for yourself—that's why you don't give because you're selfish. Okay. So, so I'm—I'm I'm, I'm not trying to get us to see. Well, the reason I'm giving more money is because I want something in return. No, the fruit that we are seeking. Right? When he, he talks about the, the blessings and the fruits and the overflow, the fruit that we are seeking is changed lives.